0: Up next, on episode 50 of Stack Overflow, Joel and Jeff sit down with Steve Yage to discuss his JavaScript compilation project, a generalized, googly approach for plugging language support into editors, and the overall importance and philosophy of language tooling, from IT Conversations. (laughs) Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high performance content delivery network for digital media. And now here's Stack Overflow.
1: You know John Cage is the composer who pissed everyone off with his four minutes and thirty-seven seconds composition, which was a dude sitting at a piano for four minutes and thirty-seven seconds and not playing Is it. Is it thirty three? Four thirty three. Oh man, I'm four seconds off. You just well, I think Carmel you might have your Shin. own new composition just invented. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, our guest today on the Stack Overflow podcast is Mr. Steve Yegge. Howdy, howdy. Formerly of um of uh, Amazon mm-hmm. and the Navy, even before that. Mm-hmm. Currently of Google in Kirkland where where um, Michael and I are visiting. Jeff is on the line from Emeryville.
3: Well, actually El Cerrito, but close, very close.
2: El Cerrito. Yeah. That's a different Mexican restaurant outside of Berkeley. Yeah. So how is uh how's the Google Plex treating you?
1: Uh it's pretty
2: nice. It's not this isn't the Plex, I don't think.
1: Uh, it's oh. kind of plexy. I mean, it's the plexiest we got in Kirkland. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the locally plex. It's frigidly cold here, but it's beautiful outside.
2: Uh, the, 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 apparently, the weather in Seattle is usually bad. We're having beautiful weather, and uh, everybody's saying that we were lucky or
1: something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You were. You're, you're using our whole year's quota of sunlight, basically. But uh no, yeah, we're in the Kirkland office, we had a nice lunch. It's uh, Earth Day tomorrow, I guess, and so the chef came up and started begging us to take asparagus home. Oh yeah.
2: Was, There's a big old table of organic produce up there in the uh Amazon uh cafeteria. And sort of,
1: <coughs> Google cafeteria. Sorry.
2: <laughs> Amazon.
1: In <laughs> Amazon you've been pulling your wallet it. out. Okay, well, that's they
2: right. Do, but. So we're in the Google cafeteria. There's a big old table set out there with like uh, like raw asparagus and and and, and asparagus 20 kinds of fruits and vegetables. Yeah, it was like a
1: farmer's market.
2: All, there. all kinds of different apples and stuff.
1: And I was trying to explain to Joel that at certain other companies that I've worked at without naming any names, uh, they there was a big discussion about whether you should feel guilty if you're going to take food home, you know, if they decided to feed you because there was some cataclysmic event. Right. And and I was go- about to say at Google, they've kind of cleared up the ambiguity. <laughs> and the chef walks up and goes, please take any of this home you want. And he just starts handing us bags uh, so, of food. Yeah. A little bit of contrast there.
2: That's pretty nice. I was going to take some over to my friends at Microsoft because they don't get enough food over there. I don't think. Mm.
3: But it's a table full of vegetables. That's not very program.
2: <laughs> it should be like ding dongs and Twinkies and. They have that know, too. Jolt Cola. They have the slightly healthier versions of the ding dongs. Yeah, I we had the
1: look, much healthier Red Bull Cola, Red Bull but. Cola, and stuff. <laughs> um, and the
2: organic Red Bull.
1: <laughs> we did have a brownie.
2: There was a brownie. I'm just noticing that that lava lamp seems to have an antenna. It seems to be attached. Oh yeah, that's an our antenna. that's
1: our wired internet lava lamp, so you can uh, check it. St- I'm just making this up. I don't, I don't know.
2: <laughs> There's a lava lamp here in yeah. this little tiny conference room we're in, along with a floating soccer ball.
1: It's not very lava lampy either. It's on, but it's not moving. So maybe it's actually a you know a Optical listening illusion. device or it's a- just
2: CGI that they added after. <laughs> <afterwards>.
1: <laughs> Could be. So, so with- Jeff, how you doing? Good. Haven't, well, I was uh, going to tell
3: you, your, your show was one of the most popular ones I think we ever did. Yeah, got,
1: one of the most popular. Well, yeah,
3: repeated, is, repeated compliments on that. People really seem to enjoy uh, that show. I don't wrong.
1: remember any of it, but, uh, but <laughs> I, I hear it was good.
2: We might have talked about programming languages. Everybody likes a good programming language fight. Oh, yeah. yeah.
3: Oh, That's speaking
2: easy. of programming languages, I
3: have a little uh, anecdote. You guys probably knew this, but me being a dumbass, uh, I didn't know that APL – yeah, was actually symbols. I thought you were kidding. You brought that up. You're like, you know, I, I said, well, what if there, were, there was a programming language? Or I think Alex brought it up actually at the Daily WTF. He's like, what if there was a programming language that was entirely symbols? And I was like, yeah. ha ha ha, that's hilarious. And, and I, I like, said, like, yeah, APL. And I was like, that's ridiculous. And then <laughs> in the comments after I put that show up, people were like, yeah, just like APL. And I was like, what? I was like, Joel wasn't just pulling my chain like he usually is. I when did I ever pull your chain? Constantly yanking my chain
1: about stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think they but got I, the idea from uh, terminals that couldn't display Unicode, so you'd see little smiley faces and stuff, and they were like, oh, you know what, this is even <laughs> more succinct than
2: Perl. The it's a the, the line noise language. Yeah, I think they're really... Well, first of all, I don't know why it uses symbols. It's really a matrix language.
3: Well, it's AKL. a mathematics thing. Yeah. Somebody said, this is what happens when you let mathematicians design a programming language.
2: It gets really concise. But, like, the and whole... Then, like the whole um like the fibonacci generator is like eight characters or something and the yeah it's a it's a very concise language
1: it's good to be able to save space on your fibonacci generators cuz you know <laughs> got a lot of those the, the toy examples always drive me nuts you know the, the C++ is, you know, you see the Strewstrip books, you know, the C++ toy example that he uses again and again and again. It's the point class and how it's just so hard in C and now we can have uh, right. uh, points. Which inherits from com- Complex numbers. Complex numbers. That was the one. Complex numbers. Yeah, yeah, same thing. You got a whole programming language designed for complex numbers. Pretty much. And then he kind of bolted everything else on afterwards. And uh, and
2: strings. That's the problem is that you couldn't do strings.
1: Right. And exactly. And then Pearl came along and they could do strings really well, but uh, not so much lists or trees or data structures. and right. Then it all went to hell. And then, uh, then now the Haskell and the Scala people are like, look at our quicksort. It's only three lines and it's not actually quicksort, but it's pretty close. And, you know, and it's provably <laughs> correct is, that your it? stuff is sorted. And you're just like, great. That makes me want to use the language. But I don't know. It's just, hmm. It's some other sort. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it is. It's costly. Kind of um, medium sort. Yeah.
3: So, just to clarify, there is a version of APL that gets rid of the crazy symbols, but it's essentially the same language. I believe it's called, I want to say J? Hmm. Is that what that is? Yeah, I think. And a lot, of, a lot of people that use APL have sort of switched to that because it's less insane. Well, have you have Does that you mean actually... like,
1: like four out of five people? Because there were only five, I think, actually using <laughs> APL, right? They used to, used
2: to have to get a special terminal for it. And yeah, you couldn't and type it in. That was that time. was a big one, right? Yeah. I mean,
1: like if your keyboard doesn't work, then where are you? Yeah, and your terminal. I mean, you know, the thing is, I hear it was a really elegant, really nice language, and I, you know, yeah. a lot of old geezers tell me they they just loved it. It's just a shame that it just never took off.
2: I, I think it did among like mathematicians, people that were modeling mod- modeling weather, but mm-hmm. this was uh, this was and scientists and stuff like that. But I mean, this was really in the '60s, mm-hmm. maybe the early '70s. So. It wasn't like it was Windows, like you could have a language with all kinds of wacky stuff and then they would just put a little on screen keyboard and you could click on the glyphs that you wanted. No, this was like you had a teletype punch type terminal
1: with the You tape probably and the paper. had some horrible, horrible setup that looks like the sound equipment on the table in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> and we're gonna in thirty years we're gonna look back and go, Remember that sound setup you had for the podcasting? The
2: only thing funnier than, than all this all these wires that I have on the table for this podcast. Is trying to get this through airport security. <laughs> oh God,
1: I can't imagine this looks it's seriously, it looks just like the Apollo thirteen scene that was uh, where, where they dumped all that stuff on the floor and said build a CO two remover. And Joel was Joel Joel did it in record time. I think he did it un, in under fifteen minutes, put it all together this time. Yep. It was uh it's an impressive piece of work. It's an impressive piece of work. So I've that that's all- what you needed to to program APL is what I hear is you just needed this really fancy setup. Yep.
2: That's what, well this setup is, uh, this is nothing. Just the fact that I could fit a whole professional recording studio into a knapsack. And then we got Jeff on Skype coming remotely.
1: Yeah, it looks pretty cool when it's all set up now.
2: Yeah, and you're not even seeing the cool flashing numbers over here and the blinking lights and the little VU meters that I'm monitoring.
1: It has blinking light, kind of like the Star Trek yeah, here, panels with here, all the blinking lights here. to show you that it, it's blinking. Swing,
2: swing around over here. You probably won't unplug. we got oh, wow. four little VU meters here. So that's that's me. That, that looks
1: very expensive.
2: That's the uh, time. It's an OLED display. Uh-huh.
3: Well, let's like let's get too meta on podcast stuff. Okay. That is all one right. of my complaints about other podcasts that they talk about.
1: They talk about podcasts all the time. Who? Yeah. Oh, they do.
3: It's kind of like programmers talking about programming languages. It's yeah, that's
1: really boring. annoying. Let's not do that.
2: <laughs> a minute ago, so, we were, uh, um, Steve, we were about to have an interesting conversation. I was like, let's save this for the podcast. What the heck was that about?
1: Do you remember, Michael?
2: Nope, it's lost to. It's lost to. Uh, was it the strippers? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm different. I'm sorry. No, I'm I thought different. they were uh, hookers. Wait a minute. This uh, is a different. No,
1: that was my former employer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah what was it?
2: I was I was asking you sort of what were the worst things about working at your form, former employer because I guess I hear that it's not such a great place to work anymore.
1: No, it's not so bad. I mean, you know like, you know what it's the, McDonald's has pros and cons, right? Yeah. You know, and you know, you can you can make a case for working there. I mean, it's a it's employment. one
2: out of eight of all US citizens have worked at McDonald's at yeah, some point. Yeah, and I adults. would say that
1: with their turnover, my Former employer will probably be Pretty one in eight programmers that. will be able to say they worked there for a year, and as soon as their <laughs> signing bonus kicked in, they ran. Uh, yeah, but I, you know, I don't know. I don't. I'm, I'm thinking that four years is probably the appropriate amount of time to wait. So I got another six months to go before I can actually sort of start the whistle blowing, <laughs> or or what's the right word for it, um, the expose. Um, not that other people haven't done it before, right? And written books about it and stuff. But I mean, that place was just Yeah, Mike, Mike Daisy.
2: Oh, wait, we're not identifying them by
1: name. No, might give it no away. No, I don't know who Mike Daisy is. I don't know who. He is. is this a cell phone? <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think six months from now, you can ask me and I'll be a little more forthcoming about some of the craziness that went on there.
2: It was really sort of a dot-com company, right? Just dot-com craziness.
1: Uh well I don't know I've heard a lot of dot com stories but I haven't heard like companies where managers wrote with green felt markers on bald employees' heads or prevented oh, people from oh, wait, going what? to their that that came keeping from the hedge fund. Yeah. keeping people from going to their mother's funerals or any number of other I mean it wasn't just dot com craziness there was actual real craziness there like <laughs> Mooney craziness going on there for a while wow. But, uh, you know, we're talking about it. It's, this company's ancient history. I don't want to talk about who they were or anything like that. But, uh, but you did ask me, you did ask me what I'm working on.
2: Oh, yeah. Are yeah. you allowed to say what you're working on yeah. at all? Yeah, yeah,
1: to some extent. You okay. guys asked me last time and I was like, rah, rah,
2: rah. right, right.
1: And this time I'm more like, <laughs> Okay. So, you know, it's just a little, a little less, uh, So, two known.
2: barks, or one bark. Is it, is it, is it anything to do with like, Communications in some way? Give you one
1: bark. Yes. Uh, rah, rah, is no, right? No, not a communications um, tool. No, no. It's an internal uh, – so, you know, I'm kind of obsessed with productivity, right? Mm-hmm. And as it happens, um, so is Google now because, uh, well, a big recession hit, and now we're – you know, nobody's hiring like crazy anymore. I mean, I think everybody yep. was for a while, but yeah. – and uh, so, you know, they're taking a look around to see how to get more out of their current engineers, and they're walking around asking people, so what would make you happier? And people inevitably mm. say, tools, 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 right? I mean, that's what they want. They're like, what I can't of, never yeah. – well, people come over here from Microsoft, and they throw temper tantrums,
2: okay? That's true. They don't – Microsoft do. really does have a machine –
1: Of tools, like the tool, like the like. Yeah, they have all kinds of machines. I was wondering which which one you were referring to. Well, like one that keeps your eyelids open. (laughs) I'm thinking Um, about
2: that when a programmer writes code at Microsoft, it goes into this gigantic factory. Yes, you don't even know about, (laughs) and millions of copies of it in 47 languages, and you're seeing your code running in Turkish, and somebody's complaining to you about an error when you capitalize the letter I from English to Turkish. It loses or doesn't lose its dot as appropriate in the Turkish. Alphabet set. And you're like, what? My code runs in
1: Turkish? Nice, nice. And also they have IntelliSense, right? They've had it forever. Oh yeah. And IntelliSense. I forgot is, that. It's like crack. Or so I hear. Yeah. Um, oh, geez, you I've have to d- with
2: the size of APIs today where you got like 8,000 little member functions. Exactly.
1: And, and I've heard, it's funny, I heard this, uh, this, this, this Googler who, uh, he sent this impassioned rant to, I don't know, our Java, Java list. Uh, and he said, you know, I, I've been a C programmer for 25 years and I, and I never, ever thought I'd be using Java. I've been using C since before there was C, apparently. I don't think I did my math quite right there, but he's been doing it for a yeah. long time, right? Long, long time. And he says, you know, he says, I had to, I had I was forced to use Java because I wanted this one project and I using Java. And he says, you know, now like a year later, I can't, I can't even begin to express how much cooler it is than C++. And it's not the language. It's got nothing to do with language. The language is even really that good. It's neither here nor there. The tools are amazing. Mm-hmm. He says the things that it can tell you and blah, blah, blah. He was basically going on and on and saying Java has kind of IntelliSense now. Right. Right. Now, people who so actually- come, in, in Eclipse, presumably. Yeah, it was Eclipse, or, or maybe IntelliJ, okay. or whatever. Yeah. One of those, one of those ones. And, uh, and so, you know, Visual Studio's had this, like, kind of forever, and so people from Microsoft, you know, that's, that's the environment they use. Except, used for, the, to it. except for the ones who use Emacs, which is apparently kind of a larger number than they like to advertise. Uh, but, uh, they come over here, and they're like, I can't find my way around this code base, because mm-hmm. Google has a lot of code. I mean, so does Microsoft, so does yeah. know, any big company, right? And, uh, and, uh, so I was like, well, so like a year ago, so after having been on three projects, all of which were canceled, I think I told you guys this. Last you have time. a
2: lot of bad luck uh, with that.
1: Yeah. You know, but it wasn't all bad. Right. I mean, like I even got a bonus for one of them.
2: You could have a situation comedy, sort of like everyone, like everyone hates Chris where something bad happens to you every single day, I could stand up and dust yourself off.
1: I could, but I, I mean, it's, it would be so hard to pull it off around here. I mean, it's like, anyway. oh, something bad happened today. They they didn't have enough asparagus or, or whatever, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just like <laughs> you, you ran, gotta, out
2: of, ran out of asparagus. You got to put it all perspective,
1: table. right? I mean, let's just seriously, the, people got kind of whiny here. We had a reputation in Kirkland for being whiners, right? It, for the, uh-huh. um, among the rest of Google, it's because people they, people would literally write on the comments board. They, the the one that really got my my coworker was, um, please don't put frosting on the chocolate brownies because it gets on my fingers. <laughs> it's just like, uh, we've got serious problems at this company. What's, what's this that expression? Is what how, how
2: quickly we grow to feel <laughs> entitled to things that were only invented 15 minutes yes. ago. There was a woman on the plane when Michael and I were flying out here who uh, I guess it was the kind of plane that doesn't have power outlets at every seat. And she was just complaining to the flight attendant. She was like, a six hour flight without power? Oh, how gosh. am I supposed
1: to? What? How? It's like being on a desert <laughs> island. I know. I know. So, yeah, the entitlement thing is, a, is a, you wouldn't think that it was an issue. in, in, in other places in, in at Google, it, it doesn't appear to be. Like, I heard one dude stand up at the company All Hands and, and complain that because there was now a cafeteria in every building, but not a bunch of micro kitchens, that uh, what if he didn't like the chef's food and he had to like walk to another building? Oh, and he no. got booed off the stage. Everyone was laughing and you know, <laughs> jeering at him. And it was like clearly <laughs> think, no entitlement down there. I think,
2: right? you know what? I think Google hires a much larger proportion of experienced developers than fresh out of college developers Mm. relative to the average high tech company. I could see that. Which means that a lot of them have been at places where they know (laughs) what the par for the course is.
1: I made it, I actually made an argument at one point and I was kind of semi-serious that you should not be allowed to come here out of college. Right. Because you have no idea how good you've got it. Right. Right, right. Just for that reason alone. Or or, like if you come here from college, we should slap you like just (laughs) once. Right. Just to say that's what it's like elsewhere. Right. Or you could spend, uh, you know, yeah, just have them go to a little boot camp. I don't know. Something to, you know. Well, here's an idea. What you
2: do is you find some big advertising agency in New York or something that's doing some integration project with Google Uh to, you know, to feed eight million AdWords. Something exactly. campaigns or something, and you send them out to work in that place. That's for eight right. Weeks.
1: We call it the salt mines project, and they get to be in the salt mines for eight weeks. And then, and then, and then, and then no food or anything like that. No. Right? And then they get to come Jeez. over here, and and then, uh, and then maybe they'll they'll get it right because it's it's often the college hires who were kind of had the, the worst entitlement problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway. Uh, we had kind of a reputation for it and you know, it was kind of an issue. So, uh, but, 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 but developers are kind of entitled to, to good tools, I think. I mean, you know, sure. it's, it's, it's foolish to, to, to try to, I saw this dude, I, you know, he, he's not with us anymore and it's, he left volunteer. He was a good programmer. I mean, people can get by with, you know, just basic VI, but I mean, the dude had, he was using not Vim. He was using VI, like mm-hmm. VI or whatever you call it, right? Mm-hmm. The old one. Mm-hmm. It was like Ed. Ed. And, um,
2: <laughs> you know, one comma three I. Exactly.
1: And, uh, and he, uh, 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 he didn't have any colors. He was using the, the green on black terminal theme, you know, kind right. of reminiscent of the old days, even though he had just gotten out of college and probably didn't even know what he was doing, right? And he ter- hadn't used a terminal before. And he, so he had, but he didn't even have parent matching turned on, right? <laughs> he had no bracelet. And he was doing yeah. this like really deeply nested JavaScript. And every time he'd make a change, you know, he'd like go in and he kept spelling it function instead of function, right? He'd leave the N <laughs> And I'd you watch over, Yeah, you know, and I'd watch over his shoulder, and I'd be like, dude, you spelled it function again, right? And, uh, you know, he'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, boy, I really ought to. And I'm like, yeah, I guess it's kind of funny. So, like, I, you know, I, I was watching over this guy's shoulder, and I'm thinking this is kind of the sort of the state-of-the-art of tools, you know, at Google for people who are doing any sort of JavaScript, any sort of C++, anything that's not Java. we got to fix this. This yeah. is a problem. Sure. Right? And, and, you know, if I'm going to fix it, I'm going to fix it in sort of a – you know, a googly way, in a a big scalable way, in a non-stupid way, right? And so I I took a look around. I mean, like, basically, programming languages are silos. We already know that. They don't interoperate very well, right? You know, they you can kind of, you can use Com, Corba, things like that, you know, whatever. But there's no, like, there's very little, you know, call stack sharing, right, going Unless
2: on. Unless you have, except for the, the set of .NET languages.
1: Oh, yeah, but they yeah. do. Yes. Or, or well, if you want to go through the exceptions list, the Suns JVM, the, the Apple JVM, the right. LLVM is probably further along. There are you know. little
2: worlds that aren't quite so silent. Yeah,
1: and they're working on it, but I mean, I was at a food camp a couple years ago where the Basically, the leading experts, you know, in the world were working on it. There was a dude from, there were a couple guys from Microsoft, there mm-hmm. were guys from uh, Apple, and, and and the Pearl Parrot project, and there was the um, the Smalltalk VM guy, and it was a long list of people. I was just, the room was just packed with compiler VM brain material, mm-hmm. and they just got into this. Explosive argument that lasted for like two hours. They literally got up and walked over into the tent and ate dinner, and they're still like talking to each other through their mouth, mouthful, going, No, but what about this problem? How and do you so throw hard? an exception across Seriously. four frames where and you gotta throw it through yes. another language? And it was exactly yep. this kind of question. And, you know, yes. it was like when yep. people were just trivializing it, going, Oh, well, you'll just and they're like, There is no just. What about <laughs> threading semantics? What about you know object semantics? What about yeah. this and that? You know, and it's it's a hard problem. So no. yeah, definitely. basically, like my point that languages don't really call each other in their silos, I, I think still is, is still true today, right? Mm-hmm. It would it'll be, be great when we I'll get to where you, it doesn't matter what language. It's just you know surface syntax, you know. But but it's going to be a long time, right? And and, and you kind of disenfranchise your users too. Microsoft did this with Visual Basic, right? They were like, oh well, yeah. you know, we wanted to interoperate with C so we're just going to kind of change the way it works. Well, with C sharp actually, but oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. well, or, or you know, and they change uh, the way C work. Embedded C plus yeah. whatever they call it managed um, managed manage C managed C yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, don't forget that that if if you do that, then you're missing the point. Because if you just say, "Wouldn't it be awesome if all languages were just skin syntax on top?" That skin syntax on top is the thing that the programmers care the least about. It's and it's the least common denominator too, is what you're going you to want. You have to you have to have a least common denominator. I mean,
1: There's still the right tool for the right job thing going on. With programming
2: exactly, languages. exactly. You got I mean, what are you going to do in the browser? It's got to be JavaScript, I assume, or something that translates to JavaScript. I
1: guess I don't know. But anyway, okay. I took I took a look at the the sort of you know the state of the art of tools, and I was like, you know what? I mean, Visual Studio. And say Eclipse IntelliJ are the sort of state of the art for tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and they have auto completion and they have smart, you know, linking and browsing and blah, blah, blah. But you you basically have to like, you have to add support for each language for each editor. So there's an N by M sort of you know matrix problem right mm-hmm. so in other words like emacs has pretty kind of okay c++ support but its java support's not quite as good and it kind of diminishes emacs kind of has a uh, decent-ish support for a lot of languages eclipse has really good support for java and kind of okay for c++ and then it tails off really mm-hmm. fast it's mm-hmm. like lousy for you know Perl mm-hmm. and so on and so like but everybody has their favorite editor and they won't give it up Right, right. Even if it's you know vi with no parent matching, they're like, "Damn it, I'm going to use this till my till I die." Doesn't isn't there
2: a problem that like I I I know with in the case of IntelliSense at least it's very very hard to do good IntelliSense if you don't know the type that something is that the variable is pointing at.
1: Well, it is hard, but I I noticed that you didn't say it's impossible, and that's that's the correct word because it's not impossible. Mm -hmm. It is just hard. Um, Google has a, a JavaScript compiler. Right. I don't know if, uh, we talk about it or anything. I know we're planning on open sourcing it. We're working on it. Is it, is it the same as the one in Chrome? Um, I don't know. I don't, no, it's not. The one in Chrome is a VM. Okay. okay. So that the one in Chrome actually interprets JavaScript. What we have is a compiler that will, um, you know, it's the thing that, that, that crunches it down. So if you actually look at the JavaScript from like Maps or or, or whatever, right? You know, Gmail. Oh, okay. It's a very, you know, it's kind of obfuscated. And it's not obfuscated. But it's still JavaScript. It's still JavaScript. But what they've done is they've given all the variables very short names, and right. they've taken all these shortcuts. But it actually does a, a very very sophisticated uh, analysis of the JavaScript. And we have our own internal type system that we've kind of developed, right? That's um, more or less modeled on the way JavaScript's types is evolving through the ECMA stuff. I don't know if you guys have been following that, but mm-hmm. so like you can write typed JavaScript. Uh, okay. at Google, right? So there's, there's classes and there's methods and inheritance and there's, uh, there's even to some extent you know parameterized types and things like that. Do you have to declare the types? Uh, you, you don't have to. There's type inference. Okay. So the more types that you declare, especially at key points where there's a little bit of purchase for the type inference engine, yeah, yeah. the better. And it'll right. tell you oh gosh, I have no idea what's going on here, right? Yeah. But it does, it does, it's very smart. It actually knows about like union types. And so like if you have a function like in JavaScript that takes a number or a string and mm-hmm. it just casts you know or it does it, yeah. or maybe it dispatches and does something different you know mm-hmm. cuz they don't have overloading right so what you do is you just look at your arguments and see what you got and then do some dispatch right mm-hmm. the type inference engine in js compiler will actually like figure out what all the possible things are that you do pass in and create a union type for those right cool. and so and, and none of this has ever surfaced in any sort of an ide or anything it's just it's just warnings or or errors at um, at uh, build time right? so it can catch things faster uh, yeah, so, but I mean, it would be very nice if it could catch it as you typed it.
2: Mm-hmm. Right? And plus, like, know what the type of that object is so, Absolutely. That, it can give you so Sense.
1: that you can Absolutely, so you can do uh, exactly, auto completion, things like that, yeah. right? Code navigation. So, so, so the, the JavaScript approach that we've taken is, um, is, I, I think, a model for how, uh, we're going to do static analysis, and when I say we, I mean the industry. How we want to do static analysis for languages like Perl and Python and Ruby and so on. And in fact, the Python crowd here, when they saw what I had done internally, they were like, "Oh, we want that for Python in a big way." And mm-hmm. so I'm like, "Well, yeah, we have to write a Python compiler. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to be some work, right? Because the thing is, it's a very, it's a really sophisticated compiler. It does like 50 passes over the IR, and it does it builds a you know control full graph and all that Dragon Book stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it's doing it with JavaScript." And it's starting, it's starting off with the very few types. I mean, it's the types that you give it, right? But I mean, like, you could potentially, I mean, I think eventually we're going to be able to run a third party code where all the only types are like, you know, literals and, and functions. And, you know, there isn't a type system, right? But it can still infer kind of a lot of stuff there, right? Yeah. So, like, anyway, so it's, again, it's hard. It's a lot of work and it could, it could be better and, and, and so on. But I mean, it's pretty good. And then with C++ and with Java and with any statically typed language, you have types. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of stuff for the intelligence or sure. IntelliSense stuff to work.
2: There's actually I mean, if you if you open up in the latest version of Visual Studio, if you open up an HTML file that has a bunch of random JavaScript pasted in there the javascript will get syntax colored mm-hmm. and intellisense will almost work and it'll use all kinds of exhaustive methods yes. to try to guess what type of things are sometimes yes. in ways that are maybe 95% accurate but and not you know 100% what?
1: that's that's a that's been my sort of core philosophy is if it's 95% accurate then you know 5% of the time you're going to be fixing it you know but yeah, that's no worse than like the indentation for javascript or right. probably for c++ right every once in a while it doesn't indent exactly the way you want but as long as it's helping you yeah. you know um and a lot of times when it's failing
2: it's 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 queuing it's cueing you off as to something that you did non-standard. That's that's true. Or possibly true. even wrong.
1: It, it, it's you're right. It's actually kind of an incentive for you to sort of code in a more transparent way. Mm-hmm. Now, people who love to write obfuscated JavaScript, you know, will kind of sniff at that and go, "Whoa, I want to use you know anonymous function callbacks nested inside of other closures that are passed along." And you're like, "Fine, your tool mm-hmm. won't know what the hell you're doing," mm-hmm. uh, and that's your choice, right? Right. But uh, so anyway, I decided why not take like these 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 compilers that are designed for IDEs. Like mm-hmm. Eclipse, Eclipse has a whole bunch of compilers that compile Java. It has like three Java compilers in it, right? You know, one, it has a fast kind of inaccurate one for as you type, and then it has kind of a better batch oh, one, and then it has a great big one that does like exhaustive analysis on big trees, and right? And, and it, this is all
2: just for syntax coloring. This isn't even compiling your program. This is just the IDE. No, Eclipse actually does compile your program. Well, yeah, but you. but I mean, the, you're saying uh, some of these compilers. Well, only
1: because Java requires you to compile to store symbol information because you've got to store it in class files Whereas with C++, you can use like headers, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, it's it's not for for compiling an executable necessarily, right? But but it is a compilation. It's basically it's doing all the semantic analysis, so it's everything except code gen. So effectively, it is a compiler, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and so take these things and and run it on Google infrastructure and run a service around it. So instead of having to write a separate language plugin for every IDE, for every language. Mm. Instead, you do it once, and then the IDEs have these sort of, these super, uh, lightweight, kind of thin client plugins that deal with things like style runs and, and hyperlinks, right? They're not dealing with parsing and all that ugly stuff, right? All that stuff is done, like, by these big batch analyzers, and then maybe, maybe I'll follow the Eclipse model and have some really fast interactive ones, right, for as you type. So, uh, you know, the idea is basically to commoditize IDE backends. Right. Cool. And uh, and I want to I want to I want to bring it externally. I want to, you know, at some point, I mean, we got to dog food, the thing like for a good long time. It's gotta be kind of rock solid bulletproof before we start like showing to other people because it's it's awfully close to our core, organizing the world's information, you know. Mm-hmm. So people are people are gonna expect it to be correct. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and if it's not correct, they're gonna be like, yeah, you know, the, the super class here is, you know, is wrong. And so uh you know it's gonna take it's gonna take a couple of years probably before I can externalize this. Um but um this is the way I see programming language evolving. I design evolving because I want to turn the problem around and I want to have language implementers providing the the sort of the the symbol tables and the and the file offset information and not discarding comments. And, you know like an IDE mode for mm-hmm. everybody's, you know whether it's Python or Perl or you know APL, you name it. Mm-hmm. It's no longer I think it's acceptable in today's, you know, sort of environment to uh to have a compiler that discards all the useful information for the programmer and just compiles your code. Right. Because it has it there for a while in the app It's
2: got an abstract syntax tree at some point that has tons and tons of useful
1: Yeah, and it just throws it all out because it's like ah, not needed for you know code gen, right? right? But the the fact is that is you don't want to have two separate ones. You don't want to have to like track the evolution of C plus plus and Java. You mm-hmm. want to have them giving the IDE the information. It's totally backwards today. It's 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 ghetto, right? I mean, it's like we're in the mm-hmm. we're in the we're in the Middle Ages of programming, you know. And I think it's going to change as people start. What's going to happen? Is, I think is eventually there's going to be this critical mass of languages that all support tools. And mm-hmm. I would love to have language implementers hear this today and start like. Working on it now. When mm-hmm. you write a parser, write a mode for the parser that like retains more information, and then and you know, give us a symbol table that you know that that links back to the places in the source, you know where it, where it came from, and basically all the stuff you need in order to to build an IDE that's smart mm-hmm. that has like intelligence about Zenith, your language, right? yeah, about your language, and that way when you decide to make a change to your language, mm-hmm. it's going to be supported by the IDEs because you're exporting everything in a in a sort of language neutral way to you know do style. It. It'll be a critical mass at which point. Like people will be like, "Well, I'm not going to use your language because it doesn't play along with this this sort of system." Right? It's just a text language that you type into a yeah, vi. Yeah. You know, how lame is that? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, well, that's what we use today, but hopefully, in you know five, ten years, it's going to be uh, ancient history. So that's kind of what I'm working on. It's pretty preliminary. It's a very tiny, small team, and cool. um, you know, but there's a lot of excitement about it internally, and we're we're launching new languages about once a quarter, and I don't know. So I'll be able to talk more about it, you know.
2: Awesome. Well, I hope you'll come on the show when you do have something to show us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You can do that.
3: Steve, I I I think that's a fantastic project for you to work on. I mean, it's a huge problem inside, not just like you said within Google, but just in the world. I mean, if you try to having an editor that deals intelligently with JavaScript, it's just, there's just no real good solution out there right now. So I think it's solving a a real serious problem. Mm -hmm. And Uh, and
1: also there's some okay solutions there, right? I mean, like IntelliJ is pretty good. I mean, actually, if you just like, just feed your JavaScript into IntelliJ, it does what Joel just described that Visual Studio does. It uses a lot of guesswork to come up with something that's approximately correct. The problem is that like, what if you don't like IntelliJ? What if my family don't right. like bread? <laughs> um, yeah, are <laughs> my favorite Simpsons. So, uh, uh, you know, you, you want to be able to have that data available, the code graph, right, and the symbol table. You want that stuff available in a language-neutral format that you can serve up to Emacs or to VI or to um, uh, a Slick edit or Ed or whatever your favorite editor is. Maybe not Ed, but whatever your favorite editor is that has a plug-in system. Like and, Notepad. Uh, does Notepad have a plugin system? <laughs> but it <new>. should. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Notepad okay. is a text control. Yeah. yeah. So one so we'll question
3: idea. I have, I, I realize that you know if the if the JavaScript gets really crazy, you just sort of have to throw up your hands and say, look, nobody
1: can. Or just throw you, you, up. You
3: don't even you don't even know what you're doing, right? Much less the the analysis service. Mm-hmm. But what about like common JavaScript frameworks? Like we use jQuery all the time now. Yeah. Um, are there any? Any frameworks so weird that they wor- wouldn't work well with what you're proposing? Or is there, are those a uh, well-known set? Or
1: Well, I mean, I've looked at, like, Prototype, which I, I've used a fair amount, I guess, at home. And um, Prototype, uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't play super well with Google's JS compiler because, why, nobody ever compiled Prototype before. You know, if you have a compiler telling you, gosh, you've redeclared this variable here and, oh, this, this here function is never used and blah, 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 mm-hmm. it's, it's really helpful and you know i think uh one nice thing that we might be able to do hopefully in the next quarter or two you know we'll see is actually offer js compiler as an external service where you can just shove your javascript into it and get back some warnings right um so you know i think that there's a there's going to be a first sort of chaotic pass where basically every framework has to go and basically do a little bit of housekeeping a little bit of clean up Um, after which I think it's going to be yeah some of them are pretty dynamic right I mean like our system has to be taught you you have to tell the system how inheritance works in JavaScript because everybody does it a little bit differently they have different names for the kind of doing the same thing with prototype chain inheritance Mm -hmm. turning it into sort of something like class inheritance and Dojo does it one way and Google's internal system does it a different way and prototype does it another way I haven't looked at jqueries yet but um, so those things kind of have to be hand rolled in like you know what I mean there's no way to detect them automatically to the best of my knowledge but uh, you know so yeah none of them are going to work very well right so this is I got to get it working well for Google's code internally and then got gonna- to Kind of turn it, but I would like to maybe. I mean, you know, maybe start in my blog. Just start ranting at compiler vendors now and saying, <laughs> "Look, it's time for you, you know, people, all of you people, whether it's uh, whether it's a VM or a compiler or an interpreter, right? Whatever you've got, it's time for you to start exporting your IDE information so that uh, so that your tools don't suck so bad."
2: Well, there is going to be. I don't. I, I don't know enough about how Visual Studio does this, but I do know that there's a major effort underway for Visual Studio 2010 to make it easier for language developers to provide. Some standardized set of way of exposing things to IntelliSense. And stuff nice to make yeah. it, to make it much I easier. I mean, it's obvious. It's Unreal. not
1: like my idea yeah. is like revolutionary or anything. I mean, it's like it's what we should have been doing for twenty years.
2: Anybody that's worked in one of these IDEs has been sitting there saying, "Oh my gosh, I yeah. wish I could." Yeah. Why, why do
1: I have to do all this myself? I mean, look at the amount of code. Eclipse has millions of lines of code. It's crazy. I mean, it's, yeah. it's massive. Yeah. You know, and most of that they shouldn't have had to write. I mean, you know, they've got a better Java compiler than the Java compiler, right? right? <laughs> they do, and it's like that's that's just wrong. You know? <laughs>
2: So, well, so you've got this really good Java compiler that's helping you edit. And then when you're done, you pipe it through the Sun standard, happy yes. reference edition of Java. That's
1: just lame. It's lame. <laughs> so hopefully, well, like maybe if I get in my blog and just start like waving my like fist. Sure. You know. Who is knows?
2: this uh, is this one is this going to be an open source uh, one of Google's many open source uh, projects?
1: Well, Imagine. maybe. I mean, it's tricky, right? It's a, it's a hard problem. A because it's a lot of work. It's easy to say, oh yeah, we're just gonna. But I mean, like when it comes right down to it, every language is its own special mess, mm-hmm. right? And like adding new languages and getting them right, each one of them is like and kind of an ongoing. Each time you add a language, it's almost like you got to add a person to the team whose permanent job is to kind of keep working on that language. Yeah. And also, like putting it on Google infrastructure and making it serving and you know serving it through a service API isn't something that's really easily open sourceable i mean you'd have to like right. come up with a no oh, wait don't they have the, base- uh, wait wait a minute well, I mean, am
2: I being too high level here? I thought there was some kind of Google infrastructure.
1: Well, there is, right? But that's not really open source, that's right? I mean, you, if you offered it, no, but I mean, like, there's a way Engine, that people can run
2: stuff on App Engine, right? You
1: know, or whatever. Uh, sure, yeah. but I mean, like, that's not the same as, as uh, I mean, open source kind of usually implies there's this downloadable thing that you can run on your own computers that are not even hooked up to the internet. Yeah, you know, and and Doesn't it's conceivable that I could that I could come up with something that people could download, like LXR, like the Linux cross referencer I don't know if you guys know about that, but that's that's oh. a good example yeah. of something that does a really bad job, but an acceptable job of what I'm trying to do, right? It's all regex matching and stuff. It's not a real compiler, but it, right. it indexes code, right? Mm-hmm. And you can download it. So, like, if I came up with some sort of index format, you know, I don't know. Or if Microsoft came up with an index format, right? Like, you have the thing you were just talking about, if they standardized some sort of XML definition or whatever, you know, maybe I could have my analyzers support that. Right, right. So, it's all really, really up in the air right now, you know. So, is it going to be open source? Yeah, if, if it's successful, if my project doesn't get canceled because of the bleak economic winter that we're in right now or whatever, <laughs> you know. I mean, you never know on my track record. Uh, but if uh, if it's successful, then yeah, I think a couple down, years down the road, it could totally be open sourced.
3: So, Steve, one quick clarification: it's almost so on Stack Overflow, it's almost a running joke that the answer to any any JavaScript question that people have is use jQuery. And there's sort of this perception, and we we use jQuery and love it. And there's sort of this perception that there are certain frameworks, these JavaScript frameworks, that are kind of quote unquote winning, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
3: and they're getting a lot of mind share. That's great. And, it, well, it's easy to envision a world where people kind of have migrated to these these frameworks. You know, there, Nobody's really sitting down and saying, you know, I want to manipulate something in the browser, so I'm going to hand-roll a bunch of JavaScript to do it, but that there's going to be these commonly accepted frameworks that sort of everybody
1: uses. Yeah, one would hope.
3: And I was surprised to hear that you, I mean, not, not that yet it's a war and, and somebody has to win, but I'm surprised that you're not seeing jQuery as, I mean, from our perspective, it's like, It's almost like a running joke how often jQuery comes up. People seem to really fall in love with it. There's a lot of geek love around jQuery.
1: Yeah, I've heard nothing but good about it. Um,
2: And a lot of the the JavaScript interpreters are now starting to... Okay, now I don't know what words I'm supposed to be using here. (laughs) But the JavaScript interpreters are aware that so many people are using jQuery, that there are actually new features showing up in new versions of JavaScript interpreters that mm -hmm. optimize for certain jQuery things.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, You know... uh, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I should probably go look at jQuery, so I'm not speaking from a position of utter ignorance. No,
2: no, you should um, speak from a position of ignorance. And then well, in that gonna, case, jQuery gonna... sucks. No, I, you know, I, I
1: don't, I don't, don't even know what away. it is. I mean, I, it, 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 it sounds like you're saying that it's a, it's a framework that, 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 that gives you some, some higher level abstractions for doing, doing web development, JavaScript. Not so much.
2: At the heart of, the heart of jQuery, as far as I understand it, I'm not very good at this either, is the ability, is the rapid ability to identify a subset of parts of the DOM that you want to operate on in a way that's much easier than the old way
1: that you used to do it.
2: And it is also a framework. You mean and sort of like CSS selectors and yes.
1: XPath? Yes.
2: Yes. yes, yes. It is very, so that's very much it, like that's that. The part of it. And then the second part of it is a lot of tiny little hacks, or I don't know if, what they call them, but they're like shims, so that you don't care what browser you're, you're working on. Sure. Um, so they just abstract away like the that's little nice. capitalization differences between
1: Internet Explorer yeah. and Firefox. And, and they spew out Chrome like, and like and seven gigabytes of code if it's IE5. Yeah,
2: um, yeah no, it's actually pretty small, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, they're, they're like these little tiny things where they just sort of redefine something miss some other name yeah also okay, uh, should sure. make things uh more I'm consistent. with you
1: well, uh, yeah, it sounds cool. I mean, I, t- t- as far as I can tell, all these frameworks interoperate reasonably well. There are almost never any namespace collisions. I mean, I've used like Dojo and Prototype together and they weren't really intended to. They had to make like one tweak to Dojo and then you could use Prototype, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, then you run the risk of having just this mountain of JavaScript from five different frameworks, you know, that's, that takes forever for your page to load. I gotta tell you, yeah. I mean, the reason I haven't really looked at jQuery is, uh, is that uh well maybe i should i mean maybe maybe there's people at google that are using it like i don't even spend a lot of time on the list i'm more kind of in the tools and infrastructure side than doing a lot of actual javascript development Mm -hmm, i do some of my own but it was sort of my first experience with it and it was using google's framework with the types and everything and and google uh yeah everybody has a little bit of a different take on it right i mean some people focus on the the presentation level jquery sounds like it's focusing on um you know structural structural queries um which is great Mm -hmm. um Prototype is kind of focused on Ajax. You know what I mean? They, right, all, have right, right. they all have their. And the Google one. They all one, know the they, all know that they have like to... Google one is kind of more like the Java libraries. So it has you know abstractions for timers and for uh, right. data structures and, 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 and I don't know this and that. Right. So mm-hmm. all of them seem to be kind of tackling a slightly different subset of like the space that you would expect any any reasonable language to be tackling. Right. I mean you know the the, the standard library. Right. None of them is complete. I think. Um, right. but I'll tell you, once you've used Google's JS compiler, I mean, you really, you don't want to go back. So hopefully we can get that thing open sourced so that everybody can start using it. Cause it's not just the compression and the sort of obfuscation that happens. Um, it's really the type, the type system and the warnings and the errors that it gives you. It's, it'll actually report what percentage typed your program is. Like if mm-hmm. all the identifiers will be like, yeah, 87% of it is typed, you know? And, uh, so you can go out, you know, you can launch JavaScript with some, uh, some comfort, I guess, that it's actually uh, it's actually gonna gonna work.
2: We actually have a, a s- our, our internal programming language on Fogbugs. Wasabi actually has uh, a type inferencer, and um, we, the original language was VBScript. And so, it's, so I'm actually I actually appreciate all that, which is one of the nice things about Wasabi is getting error messages early. Yeah, man. Um, that the type inferencer discovers. Well, so, so, Steve, one
3: I'm, interesting point with with this is that you hear a lot, in at least I've heard it from the Ruby community, was that you know. Compilation is overrated, that if you have good enough tests, whether you can compile your code or not is is completely irrelevant. And it's interesting to hear you talk about all the benefits of compiling JavaScript, that it actually gives you a bunch of information you wouldn't
2: otherwise have.
3: That mm-hmm. there are actually bugs in some of these frameworks that they can't even see. Well, I think that they,
2: nobody's trying to compile them. Don't you think that the Ruby guys are basically... or no, I don't want to say Ruby in particular, but Ruby it's and Python. It's not really the Ruby guys, but that's where I've heard it in particular. Well, what they've done is instead of getting errors from the compiler at type time, is that they have this test-driven development methodology where they get errors by running their tests, their automatic tests. Yeah.
1: I mean, they, they're making the argument that brushing your teeth is better than taking a shower. Right, And it's yeah, like, I don't I buy agree. that argument. Yeah. I think taking a shower is way better. <laughs> 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 or maybe you should do both. I mean, just a thought, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if compilation is available to you, it doesn't excuse you from writing unit tests. And we certainly Correct. have lots and lots of unit tests here. Uh, but, uh, but it sure helps, you mm. know.
3: Isn't there the the parable of the fox and the grapes? It's like if you can't have it, then you don't want it, and it's
1: stupid. <laughs> yes. So we should send them all toothbrushes.
2: <laughs> toothbrushes. Uh, whatever. For, to- for, for DHH. Okay, I'm gonna start a start a website. Is that domain name available? Toothbrushes. It uh, probably is available. For I would DHH. Guess that is available. Okay.
3: Well, this is to me a classic. There's this classic tension between you know static and dynamic typing, and
1: you're like, trying I to start a client, you? It's not gonna work, man. <laughs> <laughs> I had one Red Bull, but that morning meeting just knocked me out. So I'm, I'm not going to fight. But go ahead. Try. Static well, versus no, dynamic I, I, is a great well, debate. That's, that's
3: exactly what I was going to say. Is I don't think it's really about the fighting. I think it's about having tooling that actually supports both ways of working.
1: Oh, you're so wrong.
2: No? I'm just kidding. I'm just trying. Well, he's Bye-bye. just saying, let's all get along. How could he be wrong?
3: Well, no, no. I, I don't think we should all get along. I think it, I think it's a <laughs> tooling problem. I think that's what you're getting into. And that's why I find what don't,
2: you're working on. You I really the let's get to the heart of the tooling problem, which is that JavaScript, which is an insufficiently well-designed language, albeit one of my favorite languages, but still not quite good enough. I mean, it was really a rushed-out language with a bunch of wrong stuff. Is wait, the, wait. Can anyone
3: really say with a straight face that JavaScript is one of your favorite languages?
2: Yeah, because I like you know I really like all the uh, the functional programming stuff that's built in there, and
3: uh,
1: yeah, I, li- I like JavaScript. Sure.
3: I feel like everything that was done with JavaScript was like mostly accidental. I don't, I
1: don't know. It's not as bad as say PHP. Do you know the history of JavaScript? It was supposed to be Scheme. Live Script. Yeah. Brendan. 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 He got he got hired to do Scheme in the browser. Yeah. And at the last Real. minute, uh, somebody uh, did a deal with Bill Joy at Sun and said, uh, "Oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna cross market." the, our, 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 scripting engine with Java. So you gotta call it JavaScript and give it a superficial Java syntax. And Brendan, and, and you got one week to do it. And Brendan was like, <gasps> you know, and like worked for like a week and came up with JavaScript, right? Where he basically like, it was supposed to, you know, he was, he was looking at self. You know, you know about self. It's all the prototype, all the prototype stuff from JavaScript is from self. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So you, it
3: has sort of a, a more interesting start than I realized.
1: Yeah. It has a pretty decent pedigree, scheme and self. Not bad. Okay. Right? It <laughs> has fair. the closures came from scheme and the prototype stuff came from self. And the, Interesting curly brace syntax came from Java. And then the this, uh, keyword came from Brendan's pocket because I have no idea how this, how uh, apparently he could every possibly time, imagine that was supposed to Every work. time he
2: gives a speech about JavaScript, he apologizes for the whole, um, character turn starts a new statement. Bug. Oh Yeah. God. But you
1: know what? Every time I hear any pr- language designer talk about their language, they start by apologizing. But right? there are there are things like in... maths yeah. Matt's, you know, did his whole, you know, like, why Ruby sucks, you know? And th- <laughs> that made my blood run cold, like, hearing the language designer talk about how horrible it was. You it's it's freaking hard. It's freaking hard. It is hard. It's hard to get right. And you know what? You have to be stupid to try it, right? You have to be <laughs> foolish. You have to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do a new programming language. Because if you knew how hard it was, you wouldn't try, right? right? And so right, you're, you're right. going to make some mistakes. And unfortunately... Unfortunately, you're going to be the victim of your own success. That's the way languages work. Right? And As you're not going to know about using the mistakes, it, mistakes until
2: people start using it. And too then late. you've
1: got legacy users at which you right. can't alienate them. So, I mean, all the languages go through this well, problem. So yeah. You can't really unfairly pick JavaScript out and say, oh, it's badly designed. Or, no, no, no. Or no I don't want to say think? that. It's sufficiently designed. I mean, C++ was over-sufficiently designed, if you want to go that route.
2: Yeah. Right? And you know what? You know, the, the, the most designed language, I would say, is probably Haskell. There was a committee, True. and they were all academic. They were language geniuses. Paul Hudak, uh, my professor at Yale, and they really studied all these issues, and they came up with a language that is kind of designed by committee, you know, maybe sort of this, some of the same problems as ADA, and it's designed ADA. by committee, ADA, in it's committee designed this. You're right, it's a name. Did you say not,
1: ADA? Really? I'm sorry. ADA, it was the American <laughs> no, Dental even Association? Am American <laughs> with it's Disabilities It's named after Act. Lady Ada Lovelace, but go ahead and name it after the Dental Association. Well, but usually, I get your point. It's designed
2: by committee, but it is a very modern language. It has type inference. it's quite Sophisticated. No, no, nobody's going to use Haskell, but it's
1: a... Uh, uh, oh, uh, uh you guys just got yourself some fan mail, or should I say hate mail. Yeah, yeah. Don't, every time don't I bother mention, emailing me. I already every, know. every time I mention Haskell, I say, oh, and by the way, they're like, all kinds of people use it. I'm using it, for example. And mm-hmm. I think it's the same guy every time, actually, that says that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Uh, actually, Scala is cooler than Haskell. That's a real problem for Haskell right now. Scala's type system is more modern and cooler. Yeah. Yeah, it has like uh, it has a lot of concessions to like real world programming, so mm-hmm. like it's Haskell-like. Like if you want your head to explode, then Scala will do it. Sure, for you Go for will blow up your head. But they have some really neat stuff. In
2: so there, I, so. I, the only point I was trying to make here is that JavaScript is not uh, is, is maybe not the language that we would most like to be using yes. for all the work that we have to do. And in some ways, it's very much a step back from uh, even uh, Java and C Sharp. I don't know. Maybe it's not JavaScript. I so guess JavaScript is better ways. than Java. Yeah. Okay. But it's the lang- But here we are r- worrying about all this tooling to work around the fact that we have a language that's not quite good enough.
1: <sighs> yeah. Or it doesn't really matter, right? Both languages have problems, but Java has great tools. So Java right. is way better for a developer experience right now. Hmm. I think there's people that are, I mean, there's a lot of people focused on making JavaScript better tools-wise. Because mm-hmm. I mean, what are you going to do? You, you got browsers and they support JavaScript. You got you. We're stuck you have to with JavaScript. it. use JavaScript. Right? I
2: mean, well, there are, what are some of the, um, we've talked about this. There there are a few, I don't know if we've talked about this on the show, Jeff. There are a few languages that compile into JavaScript. So, uh, oh, that whole crazy thing. We got Wasabi, uh, compiles into JavaScript. Yeah. Um, Google has Quit. a Java into
1: JavaScript mm-hmm. thing. Google Widget Toolkit. But you don't use that internally or? Uh, no, it's used internally. Okay. I mean, it took a while for it to take off, but uh, we've got some fairly big flagship uh, customers right. internally. Right. So uh and I
2: don't know if anybody else has one but there's no reason you can't pick another language that you like compile it into javascript.
1: Uh that's true. You can compile pretty much anything into anything. That's yeah. the beauty of computer science. And uh so yeah, you can. There are it's not it's not, the tools then become less trivial, right? Like, let's say you sure. start with Java. Let's say you, yeah. let's say you start with C Sharp. Yeah. And you're like, you know what? I don't like JavaScript. I'm going to write all my web stuff in C Sharp, right? <laughs> yep. So therefore, I'm going to compile. Have you ever used it? Do you remember when C++ came out? And it was C front. And yeah. compiled the C. And sure. the C was horrible. And the debugger didn't understand the line numbers even originally. And it, oh, was, yeah, like, yeah. it was bad. Right. We're kind of at that stage right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I like, the right. debugging is maybe a little better right now, but not much. So how have we gone back to 1988? <laughs> what We, the we hell keep happened doing that.
2: 20, we just know. went back in time 20 years. Have we moved forward in any other way? I, now you can order a cat over the internet and have it delivered to your that's house. That's a
1: really interesting question. Have we moved forward in any <laughs> no, way? You it. know, if you ask any embittered old <laughs> Lisp programmer, they'll be like, no, it's all backwards. <laughs> so I don't know. 1959, McCarthy Lisp was better than any exactly. of Exactly. We've moved forward on the calendar and that's it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, what has gotten better? Even the calendars. Even UIs aren't any better. If if processor speeds were faster, like if you looked at some of the the fancy, you know, UIs that they had for like, you know, Unix systems way back in the day, I mean Mm -hmm. they were curses. They were pretty fancy.
2: that what you're talking about like curses and No UI for
1: your t- that was great UI for NetHack. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But I mean, I'm talking about like a motif, you know, way back. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, there there were some nice ones. Or or even Next Step is kind of old by, these, by right. today's standards. I mean, at the time, Next Step was out. Remember, we were on Win 31 It
2: had four colors, Next Step, instead of just two colors, black and white. It yeah. had four shades of gray.
1: I thought only the cool people used the shades of gray ones. But you're right. <laughs> it did have those four colors. Anyway, well, I, don't.
3: I I think we're going forward. I would say the only step backwards and I get a lot of the crap for this, but I really believe it is is my baseline is are you doing better than PHP as a language designer?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, the web is definitely going going forward. I mean no, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um it's it's much better than it was. We have jQuery for example. I know all about it now. We
2: could <laughs> I'll tell you how we're going forward. We're going forward because we're using abstractions at a much higher level. Like uh, literally 10 years ago, if you wanted your app to send email, We're talking 30 lines of code minimum.
1: Right. And now it's a million lines, but it's all (laughs) extracted into a library. Right. Right. (laughs) A million lines in a library that you just get. Yeah. That's a forward. That's progress.
2: I think people there there are people that are working at higher levels of abstraction now that are plugging together things they're, they're put, like look at Stack Overflow it's got WMD in there as the code editor and it's got yeah. OpenID there as the authentication method and we're just you know to some extent we're we're, we're able to move very quickly because we just sort of
1: snap big things together. Did you hear that they got Coco the Gorilla to write a web app finally in the in the in New York Zoo? <laughs> Coco the Gorilla Jeff wins for the fastest one to laugh.
2: Yes. Um, no. <laughs> and I, it's in PHP. It's a pretty
1: high level of abstraction, but it was a successful web app. It's in PHP.
2: Oh. <laughs> oh, and there's wow. a function called
3: gorilla underscore right underscore web underscore app. Yeah. So the, the gorilla <laughs> just
1: had to push a button. It's, it's assigned to F2. <laughs> Exactly. It's a lot like actually the the first n Amazon launches were all done by Rufus the dog. It's Eric Jensen's dog, and they'd have a huge party and everybody would get together and be you know 50 people in the room, the whole company, and they'd get ready. And when it was time to actually go live with this new you know whatever it was like Amazon.co.uk, they'd get Rufus out and he'd like do he'd ceremoniously he's he was a corgi Uh and he would press the button and was a big. He
2: would hit enter. They would type the command line and he would hit enter and it would start. And that's pretty
1: much that's. This is an awesome a, place to work. That's where uh, web development like, has oh, gone today. Tons, <laughs> tons of fun. Well, yeah, but then Rufus left. And what were we left with? Who got to push the button I, then, huh? That's another thing. Boom.
2: They used to bring David Shaw in every time they wanted to launch a new thing, and he would press enter. These are all, <laughs> 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 you're gotta be. You're, you're all David Shaw. No, you're joking. They would When there was a new version of Juno to launch something new on the server, David Shaw would, would come out and he well, would. Well, or, or, or um, uh, what was the name of the president of uh, Charles Ardai, the president of Juno, so There would like be a ceremony around getting the A tongue teeny enter- cheek.
1: Cheek, tongue-in-cheek that their there David Shaw was actually a dog. <laughs> We're going to get in trouble if anybody listens to this podcast. Yeah, we better not uh, air any of this. No, it's all well-known, <laughs> actually. It's all documented, the Rufus uh, thing. I didn't know about David <laughs> Shaw's president doing the same thing, but... I guess they gotta do something.
2: Those of, to our listeners who are confused, there's a, there's a bit of a legacy here, which is that Amazon and Juno were two companies that were spawned from the loins of D.E. Shaw, a hedge fund in New York City, and David Shaw, um, was the creator there, and he had two people working for him, uh, who he, he just really wanted to do an internet thing. He didn't know what, and he took his two smartest people and said, I want you each to come up with an idea for an internet thing. And one of them said, how about a, like a bookstore where you can, like, order books on the internet? And, and the other one said, um, how, how about free online email dial up ISP that would be free? And, uh, uh, David Shaw said no to the bookstore idea and that was Jeff Bezos and he went off and created Amazon. And, uh, he said yes to the online ISP and that was uh, Charles Arday, and that became Juno Online Services where Michael and I met and where we got our start.
1: Not is really. there a more standard industry term for that process than spawn from the loins? I <laughs> That really <disturbed laughs> I think to me. cut
2: out loins. It's a spin-off. It's like a TV spin-off. <laughs> oh, spin-off. It's like oh, uh, a mod. So much more satisfying. What was that? What were the spin-offs like the, like uh, the Jeffersons was a spin-off of All in the Family.
1: Mm, yeah, spin-off. Okay, I like that better. Moving on.
2: spin is good. Uh well, we've we've gone a long way here without doing our usual um, Stack Overflow uh, kind of
1: podcasting. Let's thing. do some usual stuff. Yeah, Jim. well, that's
3: okay. I mean, Steve, it's awesome that okay. you're able to
2: talk about this. I really, I, I really love your project. Wait, you I can't actually
1: publish. You're not going to publish this for other people, are you? <laughs> yeah, no. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It <laughs> should be is, fine.
2: We're gonna have a transcript typed
1: out. I vetted all this. Office. I vetted all this beforehand with my lawyer Rufus.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well,
3: Steve, it's only for gorillas who write web apps. So <laughs> yeah, that's you know true. I mean? that's, that's true.
1: You're going to just have that one Haskell user listening to the podcast. You're going to have to deal with him. But otherwise, I think it'll go over fine.
2: You know what I, I want to do? I want to take a listener question, even though I, I don't know what it's going to be, because I, I have at least four of these cables that you see here in front of you are necessary so that we can take a listener question. I just need to somehow exercise that, that awesome capability. Okay, well, do it, sir. It's going to be a – I don't know if it's a good question or not. Here we go. Hey, Joel and Jeff. This is Sung in Chicago. Love the podcast
3: and Stack Overflow. In podcast 47, Joel mentions that storing email messages per file in a mail application is stupidly inefficient. Then he mentions Unix under his breath. Now, I happen to think that storing emails in a single database is an overly aggressive optimization, and that it leads to a lot of problems with backups and opaqueness, and that a hybrid design is the best approach. But I'm actually more curious about Joel's history with Unix, because he mentions Unix a lot in this vaguely pejorative way, <laughs> but never do? really explains why. Stop, stop. I don't mind that Joel prefers one platform or another, but no. I'm asking this because while no, Joel no. is opinionated, no. he is overall rather wise and not dogmatic or partisan for shallow reasons. Uh, I have to believe, then, that he had a bad early experience
1: with Unix. Could you tell us more about it, Joel? Thanks. Okay, well, when I was at... Is he talking about Snip Snip Catholic Unix school. or... <laughs> yes, well, the there were Unix is at the school.
2: And I had a terrible, terrible experience. I could see that. with a, No. Uh, well, first of all, I said Unix under my breath because that is actually the, called the Unix mailbox format. Is just plain text, and the way you know that a new message has started is that the is that you have a carriage return, from space, and that's how you know that the end of one message and the beginning of the next message. It's impossible to page forward. It's impossible to do anything with any kind of performance other than scanning the entire friggin' file, and so all I was doing is muttering under my breath, "Unix," because that's the way they do it. So that's it. But I, I kind of the question is sort of a. Uh, um,
3: Why do you hate Unix so
2: much? I don't don't actually hate Unix. So, sorry. It was, you know, uh, Unix is awesome.
1: I don't know. I mean, that design doesn't really permit you to hire armies of uh, exchange server administrators. I mean, the Unix thing is really keeping people on the streets who would otherwise (laughs) be employed dealing with some monolithic beast of a thing that that exports 8,000 messages to Skype every time you log in.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It It did just do that, didn't it? Okay. But... Uh, no, no. I mean, if you have, if I have, I've got folders here that have so many messages in them. They could not possibly, you could not possibly hit the sort header column header, and get a reasonable speed sort if you don't have some kind of index. But the the real uh, the real thing I wanted to talk about is that there is such a belief that that people are going to be uh, partisan about their technology choices, especially around things like whatever it may be, whether it's um, uh, whether it's Windows versus Macintosh. Whether it's Windows versus Unix, whatever those things are, there's such an assumption that you have to kind of be partisan and wave flags that even if I have no intent of, you know, I was just mentioning that I thought the Unix mailbox format was somewhat inadequate. Uh, and and so I, I mentioned that. Then there's an assumption that's like, oh, wait, wait, is Joel against Unix? What does he have against Unix? Why is he anti-Unix?
1: This coming from a guy who's working on an IBM stink pad, and uh, you probably have a <laughs> Zune, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. I mean, you're voting with your feet, right? No, hold on. Oh, no.
2: Damn it. You know, I had to rebuild this computer, so I don't have Sigwin on here.
1: Oh, you had Sigwin? That's yeah, sure. so cool. See, he doesn't hate Unix. He yeah. even knows what Sigwin is. That's That counts.
2: Yeah. We have. Um, um, I should say you know but, but but I think, and i am I, I do feel like i 'm trying to be fair there 's certain things that I know we, we, we make fog bugs and there 's a, a UNix version and a um, Windows version, and probably half or more of our tech support costs comes from the ten percent of the users that have UNIX servers um, because UNIX servers are just not monolithic, and you can 't throw an app on there and run it and expect to be able to find things that are going to be there so uh, writing software that 's
1: going to be distributed for UNix. Is just that's a hard problem, painful. I can't believe you're doing it. Actually, yeah. I mean, like, there's no. You, I mean, Unix is <laughs> Unix is great at time sharing and stuff, but it doesn't have like a, a registry. I mean, you know, for better or for worse. I mean, the registry right. is a central place where you register stuff, and Unix has yeah. it. Could be in Etsy, whatever. It could be in under the user's home directory. There's mm-hmm. no there's no paper trail anywhere really of where you installed something. Hell, I use a pretty modern version of of Ubuntu, right? You mm-hmm. know, on uh, for, on my uh, for my for my compiles, and and I, there's no way to tell what packages you've, in, packages you've installed. Right. right. There's this thing called dpackage, dpkj, which, you, and it works in conjunction with this other thing called aptget, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and like, you gotta go, like, read about these things and learn how they work and learn their flags and stuff, which is already a pain in the ass, but it turns out that neither one of them will actually tell you which packages you've installed. And the only way to do it, according right. to the Linux gurus here, okay, and I assume they know what they're talking about, is to run dpackage-l for list, which produces you know 8000 lines of output for every package you have installed right mm-hmm. every little sound driver every whatever and then you have to run it again on a on a Pristine installation of Ubuntu and then diff them. <laughs> like, what the hell? What like, I'll oh. rant against Unix. <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm I a like fan it. and it's all, but into... I mean, come on. Like, yeah, yeah. I've got a few th- issues with Unix. I can't imagine doing application deployment. And and by the way, why is it that all of the apps that are traditionally boarded across platforms, like browsers, for example, yeah. why are the Unix ones always the crappy ones? Right. Firefox is really, really slow on, on Linux, right? Mm-hmm. Relative to on the Mac or on Windows. Same processing power, even better processing power on the Unix box. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I applaud Joel for being, you know, nonpartisan here. But my God, Unix does have some issues. I mean, especially around, I mean, applications. It's, it's wonderful it's sort of for servers. Part but of it, for yeah, apps, it's lack, so
2: good. it, yeah, it's the lack of consistency, especially on the server. So, so like on a Windows box, you can pretty much, if you, if your app will install and deploy on, say, a Windows 2000 server, correctly. And it can have whatever dependencies you want, but if you can take an off-the-shelf Windows 2000 server and your app gets up and running, then it's pretty much guaranteed to work on just about any Windows server. Whereas with, uh, Unix systems, besides the fact that administrators configure different things, they put different things in different directories, just trying to find, like, just think about if you have to add something to Apache's configuration file, http.conf, where is that thing? How do you, how do you even find that? How many copies of Apache are running on the system? Or is it even installed yet? Those things are, trivial API calls on Windows to find out if IS is installed and what where its configuration is. Mm-hmm. And uh um, you know, almost completely impossible. And so we just have customers who will spend three days trying to get fogwugs up and running on a on a on a Unix system that doesn't have a web server.
1: <laughs> yeah. At all. It's funny, I can see I can see both sides so clearly. Because yeah. I would much rather run and administer Unix myself. Right. i prefer HDB Sure for all its ugliness, over the IIS opaque you know, menu structure. I mean, to me, that's opaque, right? However, yeah. when it yeah. comes to installing an application, I would much rather do it on my mac or what right, used to right. be my windows box right, that i would a on. a drag and drop
2: unix. or a double click and i mean and on,
1: so. on unix if it's an application that's command line and it has a decent tarball or it has a decent installer or whatever and that's a big if yeah. you know or you know or, or or if it compiles successfully from sources and you know how to run the compiler and so on and so forth then the the the, the, the experience can sort of approximate a good experience right if it, it depend, it, it <laughs> it's depends not a on... good experience but it can approximate
2: yeah. one right it depends on the dependencies um, Oop. yes it's meta circular so fogbugs has just two major dependencies at least the uh database and the way it gets to the database uh which is usually mysql and the uh web server which is apache so in the future i think we're just going to ship with those and 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 we're just going to have this big old cloddy mm-hmm. like i'm sorry but, yeah
1: we have, we have a setup
2: program that just gives you everything you need and we just don't try to find things that are there because it's just so, hopeless
1: I said lawsuit. Um, I yeah. I don't know if it's. I I don't honestly know what the licensing terms are. Oh. You just said you're gonna have a big cloddy, and then you. No, no. There, so
2: yeah, we have to. Lawsuit. We we had to figure out things like like you can't ship um, MySQL, um, but you can give the person a little download button that they press that downloads and you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know what it was. You can't ship MySQL if you depend on MySQL, but you can if MySQL is optional. So we had to write a SQLite huh. driver. For Fogbugs. So oh. Fogbugs now has a choice of SQLite or MySQL. Oh, interesting. We think. That's the current plan. We don't actually... And then we discovered that we could use um, uh, SQL Server. We do have a choice of Microsoft SQL Server. Mm-hmm. So we might... Okay, this is all um, uh, inside baseball, yeah. as they say. Hey, Jeff, is there any, any interesting news on Stack Overflow? Anything we want to talk about?
3: Not necessarily. I, I do have one question I wanted to... Stack Overflow question I want to talk about. Because sure. it highlights sort of a, a recent thing that we've had, been having this little mild controversy about and that is what My, belongs Michael is
2: on, at me what belongs on yeah
3: yeah what belongs on stack overflow and what doesn't yeah and one question that came up and it's actually kind of a cool question i'm not sure if it's entirely serious but the title is what do i need in what do i need to do in order to be a programmer at, sea?
1: Programmer like on a boat. at C?
3: programmer at sea oh at c s e a S E A yes not C I know I know you wanted to be C but no uh, and it's this number seven six six nine three five got it and I think it's a serious question I can't entirely tell this guy's saying hey I've just acquired a forty foot sailboat I want to do programming like yeah on the sea <laughs> like what what do I need how do I do it <laughs> and this got closed really rapidly as uh, not programming related uh, even though it's ostensibly about programming um, it sure is but I I have a hard time seeing the value of this question personally. I mean, it's interesting and all, and there are actually some reasonable responses. In fact, one guy says, I live and work on my 38-foot sailboat and be happy to discuss this with you offline.
2: So that's not a response.
3: But I think it's a perfect response in that I'm that's not entirely sure response. this question belongs
1: yeah, on Stack. That Bell. was a hookup, man. That's Craig's list behind the scenes. That had nothing to do with programming.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is, you know what, I think this may is be this just somebody this Is this 47 or something?
1: Yeah, uh, exactly.
2: Do you think this is somebody that's just interested in... in well, I don't know. Uh, did, he maybe program- so he- did
1: he put programming in quotes? I'm interested no. in quote programming at C. Anyone interested? <laughs> he did say he's going to bring
2: his cat Ender. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a dead giveaway right there. I don't know what for, <laughs> but it's really suspicious. Ender. You That's a sci fi series, right? Yeah. I believe
3: so. Orson Scott Bard's books. Yeah. So I think it's a real question, but I just, I, I, I don't like this question on Stack Overflow personally. I think it's too weird and
2: too narrow. But doesn't? But who cares? So you ignore it. It's weird, and you know why does it have to be closed?
3: Well, you I think want there's, to be there's a there's a of attention, though.
2: I mean, so this, this is stuff does take attention. up
3: space in your mind. Like the fact that people have to parse this question and look at it. You know, the people that are actually engaged in Stack Overflow. I mean, if you're coming from a search engine, sure, you're never going to search for programming cat ender. Yeah, it would. Just put, on this
2: page. But just put, like, this guy used the tag boat programming, so just put boat programming on your page. Well,
3: list. I object <laughs> to the fact that we have a tag called boat programming, actually. Like, I don't even think that should <laughs> be else a valid is under that tag? <laughs> I'm just curious. Now that's the only question on that tag. <laughs> yes, boat programming. I'm sure that's going to be a huge category, you know.
2: Um,. It does sort of beg the question. I mean, what if there's some really, really narrow programming topic that's like, I, you know, I've got this—I um, don't know, like, I, like, like uh, some kind of weird sound card that 15 people have, and the manual that came with it isn't very good, and I want to know how to do something, and it's definitely programming-related, but it's—that's a big deal, man. I mean, that narrow. that
1: particular—it's video cards. It's for Oblivion, right? You right. Know? When you want to run Oblivion on a crappy old laptop, like, oh, this one right here, you yeah. have to get this driver called. This old. is an
2: awesome laptop. It, well, it looks, Dude, it's got an SSD. It cramp- you know,
1: it's got a marketing issue. It looks like it's on its last leg, and it's probably brand new. It doesn't
2: look awesome enough. It's just
1: because I the bent, bent the screen like that. Anyway, anyway um, now look. <laughs> I've blown my stack. Um, damn you.
2: Adam Carolla. <laughs> Programming at C. Go.
1: Oh, yeah. So uh, how are you guys? how are you guys going to know whether it's actually a niche thing that nobody cares about or whether it's an emerging trend? or a
3: joke. I mean, I still have suspicions. this is not entirely a serious question. I mean,
1: most sites, I mean, you either have two policies, right? You either moderate it, and you're busy all the time, like, throwing away, trying to figure out, right? There's always these gray areas you have no idea. Or, you just let it self-police and you set things up so that most people don't have to parse it because it bubbles down to the bottom and you have to type boat programming to ever see the thing. This got
2: nine votes. How did it get so many votes? Well, because it has some ASCII art in it. Oh, yeah. But that was copied out of the comment. That was copied out of that ASCII art was in one of those. What are your? What is your favorite comment that you've ever seen in a? Wasn't it? Isn't that where that ASCII art is from?
3: I think so. I'm looking. At, oh, maybe you're right. Actually, there's a picture here. Wow. Why did they edit out the picture? That's interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think, and I'm just saying, I think you guys are doing way too much soul searching over individual posts. Yeah.
3: Well, yeah. I, I agree. And and you mentioned that this should be community moderated. In fact, it is. The community, like five people, decided this should be. They're out voting. The people who think this should be open,
1: yeah. the people so who think it should be closed, are outvo- like... currently
3: outvoting the people who think it should be open. Yeah. And I actually agree with that.
2: One of the things, you know, somebody asked me a question this morning, Jeff at Microsoft. Uh, well, uh, they said, "What?" Um, they said, <laughs> uh, "Oh, uh, what, what, what do you do about questions that seem to be off-topic and stuff like that?" And I said, "The truth is that we have a policy that is." not absolute enough to enforce. And and part of the policy is we do know that we want there to sometimes be fun, interesting questions like the programmer yes, cartoon question. That is true. We want that to happen sometimes. Fun but, is one. But only yes. a little bit. Yes. And, and we know that, and the reason we know that we want those to happen is because we don't want Stack Overflow just to be the world's most boring printout of questions and answers. We want it to be a little bit of a community. And we know that human communities tend to have things like, you know, tend to have, days, special days of the year when you just right. go off script and you do something else with the same people as you normally do things, right? It's a company, July 4th picnic or the, you know, Easter Talk like Sunday. A pirate day. Talk like a pirate day. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow is... Uh, do you have Take Your Daughter to Work Day here tomorrow as well? Or is that just down in...
1: uh, uh, uh I typically Thursday. only follow the Talk Like a Pirate days because <laughs> uh, I don't have a daughter. But I heard something like that's
2: coming up. It's Thursday, I think. Uh, and... um uh, yeah. So you have to have like these days that are like a little bit different. And that's fun. And that's, that's what communities do. Uh, and, and th- so the question, the question is like, what would we do if a uh, Stack Overflow celebrity like John Skeet, uh, had some major life change or maybe he was leaving his job and going somewhere else or he had some really cool thing happen to him. Like he won dances with the stars. What do
1: they call that program
2: in, in, in England where you dance?
1: Dude, even if I knew the name, I wouldn't admit it.
2: Uh, let's come dancing or something. What's the, you know, Steve Wozniak was on it. <laughs> dancing with the Stars. Dancing, with, dancing the stars. with the Stars. But there's an English version of it that's got a slightly different name. Anyway, um, uh, you know, if he was on that, we'd want to talk about that on Stack Overflow, wouldn't we? It's John Skeet. Possibly. He doesn't
1: want to. And
3: he I would, actually he feel bad. I'm to. actually looking at the history of this question. I realized he had Shit. a picture Shit. of his yeah. boat. So I think this is, in fact, a real question now. That changes my entire perception of it. But he couldn't post a picture because right. new users can't post pictures. Because we had some quote unquote "bad experiences with users post, new users posting pictures oh. that I'm sure you can imagine what it was like.:
1: What do you mean? What kind of pictures? Uh,
3: I'm kidding, Jeff. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a really bad day, by the way. Uh, it just but, sounds
1: a little dangerous that you guys are you guys know what you want out of the community. You want it to be you know professional and good, but a little bit quirky and blah blah blah. but how can you dictate that? A culture evolves, man. It's just going to happen. Whether well, you like yeah. it or not, what you really want is for it to be popular <laughs> and for ads to be valuable. So you should go into porn <laughs> right now.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I don't, I don't know what I'm saying here. I'm just saying, like, I'm my re- all of my alarm bells are going off because I hear all these like stories about Dig versus Reddit, and I just think Dig is just so broken. Yes. Oh, I don't know.
3: Well, well, part of the reaction, the reason we allow things to be closed is we don't want Dig. We actually want the community to say, hey, this doesn't belong here. Yeah. You know, we want to set boundaries.
1: Great. And anytime so, why are set we asking boundaries, the question? What's that? So, why are we why are we asking the question then? I mean, if uh, people close. Because some it,
3: people don't like the fact, that, like, some people are purists and think it should work like Dig, that everything should be voting driven, purely. Like, if, if the people vote for it, it belongs.
1: Oh, that's Reddit. Dig's the one that moderates things. Like, you, you'll never see how to disable Dig on the front of dig page. But anyway.
2: Well, yeah, Dig does some manipulation. They don't, they don't explain what it is, and Reddit believes in the voting. And, and actually, Reddit has gone – I think it's gone downhill pretty rapidly well, as a result of that.
1: That's that's, that's the standing joke, right? That's, yeah. Is that everybody who's been on Reddit for one year says it's gone downhill. But yeah. What's really happening is it's cyclical, right? I mean, it's just oh. – there's kind of fashions that come and go. It'll well, it get better. But the community is always about the same.
2: It's the it's same Ron Paul conspiracy theorist. Well,
1: that yeah, if you were on it six months ago, now Red. it's the whoever, right? I mean, it, it's funny. <laughs> they, they've decided, you know, I don't know. It's a complicated space you guys are getting into here, but um, I would I would vote for voting and openness over no boats. Well, we we're should.
3: trying to have it. I think, Steve, one of the things we're doing is we're trying to have it both ways. And anytime <laughs> you try to have it both ways, like there's this tension between the people that want it one way and the people want it the other way. You guys you are
1: going to be destroyed by boatprogramming.org. I'm telling you.
3: <laughs> Well, actually, I'm just now I'm editing this picture back into the post because I didn't realize this guy. There was a I looked cool at the picture. revision history and I saw that he actually had added this really cool picture. So are you are going to reopen this question, Jeff? Because it was closed. Uh, I might now that I see that it actually has a picture. A picture of a May I
1: suggest that it won't be statistically relevant after 10,000 people hear about it in the podcast?
3: Yeah, no, it won't be. They'll all swarm I'll, in. Go ahead, I'll go ahead and reopen it just for the Wait. sake of argument. Because to me, if it's a real experience or real <laughs>
2: purpose, I... Michael
3: well, no, is jumping this is for joy. A, this is that.
1: an important point to me. Is Have you guys seen the Turkish, the the the, the, the what is it, the Turkish milk uh, thing on Amazon? No, but it's, that's it's, a
2: second Turkish reference. It's in this the podcast.
1: it's the uh, yeah, it is. It's 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 called um oh Tuscan milk. Tuscan not Turkish. Tuscan oh, milk. Oh Tuscan milk. Have you yeah, seen yeah, that? I know that. It's got yeah. like thousands of comments Uh-oh. where people write like. Yeah. poems yes. and short stories and stuff all about Tuscan milk and their experiences. It's and an it actual product up. you can buy from a it's grocery store. It's an actual store, product. So it's it's, a, the... it's a, like a four-gallon jug of, of Tuscan milk, whatever that means. <laughs>
2: That's the and, brand name. That's the brand <laughs> we have in New and, York.
1: And and it's the funniest thing ever. And Amazon has actually let that one continue, right? Even though it's just kind of a gross violation of what they kind of wanted, which was real reviews of, of products, right? Yeah. And, and the Ping the Duck is another one, you know, that they let kind of go. So. <laughs> I somehow they've managed and I think it's through a combination of of, of you know user moderation and, and customer service rep moderation. Things don't get caught right away. But um I think you guys might be able to achieve what you're trying to trying to get here.
2: We're probably gonna with a, with gonna, a light touch. Yeah, we're probably gonna have to tweak it. I mean, I kinda like the I I, I I think of this as the Google ethics. Um I don't know if it really is, but I think of this is, this is what I think of as being closest to what Google says when they say um uh, don't be evil, which is don't Tweak posts, tweak algorithms like mm-hmm. don 't worry about individual things that that are the results of your algorithms. Try to improve the algorithms, but like never reach down to an individual website and do something special in the algorithm. Right. Always try to make the algorithm better. so maybe uh, Jeff, if we see too many of these things, we need to be figuring out different ways of uh, flagging and closing and voting on that, but we shouldn 't individually get involved in uh remo- removing or closing things that we don't think are appropriate we should just be trying to tweak the system so that the system does ba- does a better job on the whole even if some you know a couple couple bad things slip through well said. Well,
3: now that you tell, you tell me that after, I've just perked.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Both right. we, we've gone really long, so I'm going to have to draw, draw it to a close. But for our listeners, um, hopefully uh, you've got some interesting questions that you'd like to ask us, and you can do so either by recording an MP3 or Og vorbis file and emailing it to podcast at stackoverflow.com, or you can call the podcast hotline at 646 826 three eight seven nine and record a message for us up to 90 seconds we've also got a transcript wiki which volunteers around the world use to write down transcripts of their favorite parts of each podcast which make them indexable by our host google and also uh, available to the hearing impaired so if you have a few minutes of spare time or if you heard something today that steve said that you think is just awesome and you want out there for posterity please go to blog.stackoverflow.com and look for this podcast number forty nine fifty
3: I think it might be 50. This
2: might be podcast number 50. So look for podcast number 50 over there on blog.steckoflow.com and click on the little link to the transcript wiki and you'll you'll arrive at a wiki where you can hit edit and uh, transcribe all or part of this podcast um for the benefit of those listeners. Uh Steve, no, thank so you. We re- can,
3: hmm? So we can use it against Steve later. That's,
2: That's right. We can pull it uh, it goes into your permanent record. Um, yep. Steve, thanks for very much for for hosting us here at Google Kirkland and for 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 giving us as a room and for uh for being on the show mostly.
1: My pleasure.
2: Much appreciated. And uh, Jeff, I'll see you next week. Yep. See you next week.
1: I did live next door to a couple strippers uh, for a year. It was it was actually, uh, I was very famous at Amazon for that year.
2: Where did you live? What part of Seattle did you live in? That, that yeah, ab- Upstairs
1: from Wajimaya, you know, the the, the, the the Asian grocery store, yeah. you know, across from the And there were these two deja vu strippers uh, that lived next door to me. And they, they kind of adopted me like their little brother. They'd knock on my wall at five in the morning, and I'd get up and go over in my bathrobe and hang out with them. And everyone was just like, you, you're hanging out with strippers? And <laughs> in your bathroom? It was just like, yeah. Because I didn't really think either of them was very attractive. And so they kind of like... No. Recognize that. and then, So I was their little brother. Were they... Um, they okay. were like really well connected. They knew all the DJs in town. They took me to all these radio stations, and they could get into all the great restaurants. And it was pretty y- awesome. Yeah,
2: because they it spent a lot of money there, I assume.
0: You've been listening to Stack Overflow with Jeff Atwood and Joel Spolsky. The Conversations Network is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we need your help. For a tax-deductible donation of as little as $5 per month, you can support this channel and the rest of The Conversations Network. So please visit conversationsnetwork.org to become a member and help us continue to bring our programs to the world for free. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Joel Spolsky. Our website editor was Jeff Atwood. The series producer is Jeff Atwood. This is Phil Windley. I hope you'll join me next time for another great presentation from Stack Overflow here on IT Conversations.